In this episode of The Interface, I talk with Sherry Scribner, Amphenol Corporation's Director of Strategic Development. Sherry's been with Amphenol for just over a year after spending a number of years working on Wall Street. We talk about switching careers from architecture to finance to finally Amphenol. We also talk about the different types of creativity. We talk about using party diagrams, which was a new one for me. We talk about the importance of distilling lots of information down to its essence, no matter what your job is. And we talk about the benefits of her flexible role in helping to tell the story of Amphenol. This is The Interface. So what are the, what are the things that you're working on right now? At Amphenol? Yeah. Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so what am I working no, on right home. now? No, at home. I'm working on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think my role as director of strategic development is is the title is obviously very vague, um, and I think the role is to some extent vague by design, mm-hmm. so that it allows for the opportunity um, for Adam and you know the headquarters team to figure out you know different projects that we might want to work on. Um, so there is a vague aspect of it, and that's probably I don't know twenty five. 30, 40% of, of what I do. And that vague part is, you know, projects looking at different market opportunities or areas that we might want to know a bit better. So one of the projects I worked on early on was um, understanding the autonomous driving market and what solutions we have as a company um, for solving that, solving uh, those problems, you know, other things come up. Um, so that's kind of a, a bit of what I do. Probably another big piece of what my job entails is kind of a, you know, kind of a communications aspect from the investor stakeholder side. So thinking about how are we communicating the message about the company to our shareholders, to our stakeholders um, through, you know, the earnings calls process is something that I'm part of, the, um, you know, investor presentations, which we're updating you know, the communications we make um, on the governance side. So that's been a big piece of, of what I do. And, and obviously with my background being on Wall Street, that was an easy piece for me to start doing because I sure. was doing that a lot of that before. And then another piece of what I do is at, somewhat as part of that is follow what's going on in the different markets and the end result of following the news flow and, and the um, – growth and the different things that we're seeing is the weekly newsletter that I put out that's now going through Amphenol Connections right. to everyone that's in Amphenol right. Connections. So that's kind of sort of the the buckets of what I do. What I do any given day kind of depends on, on what's going on and <laughs> if Adam thinks of another thing to work on or, or um, where I need to be pulled in. And also another thing that's part of my vague piece is you know, I'm trying to put a bit of a focus on diversity at the company. So what are we doing about making sure that we have a diverse workforce? And some of that is part of the communications aspect right. and, and something that's being demanded by um, shareholders and stakeholders and employees. And and so I think we have a very good message there, but, you know, we need to have maybe a little more information and think about it a little more thoughtfully. And so that's another piece of what I do. So that's a lot of different things, but it's kind of a lot of different things all the time. <laughs> how, how do you like the the fact that your job, <clears throat> like you said, there's really no 
there's no precedent for it in a sense in that you're just okay what do we want to do today um and you have some some general direction of all right there's you know we're thinking about this we're thinking about that can you take a look at this like how do you like that how do you like because some people really enjoy a job like that where you have to figure it out and people give you the freedom to do that and other people you know they're so like i just i I just want to have a, a task oriented job i need to, yeah. I know I need to do ABC one two three every day in order to be successful and continue pushing along. How do you like the fact that your job is much more, as you say, and, and it's not necessarily a negative term, vague and, and ambiguous, but flexible? Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's really great. Um, and you know, it's interesting. I've I've had a number of different types of jobs through my career, and when I was thinking about making my change from working on Wall Street and thinking about what I really, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about, well, what kind of person am I? What do I really want to be doing uh, if I make this change? Because I knew I didn't want to be on Wall Street anymore, and I felt like I wanted to go to a company, but, you know, what kind of role did I want to have at a company? And um, I realized as part of that process that I'm the kind of person that likes a lot of variety. Mm -hmm. I get very bored if I'm doing the same thing all the time. Me too. um, so the idea of having a lot of different things to do and not always knowing was very appealing to me. And when I sat down and, and talked about the job with Adam, when we were discussing it, you know, he was very clear. He said, it's going to be kind of vague and I don't really know what you're going to do and you have to be okay with that. And I thought, that's actually exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. Because I really yeah. like to do different projects. I like to do different projects. And you know, I, I, it ends up being task oriented to some extent, but it's not the same task over and over. You know, I'll get the, whatever the, the, you know, what do we need to solve? Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of the things is I like to solve problems. So what do we need to solve for? What is the problem that we have? What is the situation? And then going about methodically trying to figure out, well, how can we find a solution to that? And so, um, I, it's great. I, I really like it. And you, like so many other people that have come to Amphenol over the years from different industries, um, you know, those that would, didn't just come straight out of college but came from various backgrounds, uh, you and many others that I've talked to, myself included, it's always an interesting path to get to Amphenol and people do different roles. You started out yeah. studying architecture. Yep. So what was the, what was it about architecture that you thought when you were younger, like, oh, man, I really want to do this. I really want to, this is something I want to study and, and work in this field in the future. It's not that interesting a story, all the different changes. It's kind of just how life evolves, if you know what I mean. I do. Yeah, um, I do. <laughs> it's, I, I plan for sure, but I never plan like 10 years out. I'm just not that kind of person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm thinking about things all the time, and I'm always trying to solve for different things. So when I was in high school, I was in a drafting class, and I loved drafting. I really enjoyed sort of the precision of it and the artistry of doing a nice – this is when you did hand drawing by drafting, not on the computer. And I really enjoyed it, the line weights, the different thicknesses. And I Mm -hmm. thought, well, what could I do with this? And so the drafting teacher said, well, you know, some people – it came up to be an architect. And I didn't really, you know, I sort of vaguely knew what an architect was. Everybody does. But I thought, oh, okay. So I went to the career counselor and I said, 
well, I think I want to be an architect, you know, what should I do? And it was this older woman. And it was it was very <laughs> memorable for me because she basically said to me, oh, you can't do that because it requires a lot of math. <laughs> and I instinctively knew that she was telling me I couldn't do it because I was a girl. Oh, man. And I thought, wait a minute, and I do not do well with people telling me I can't do something. Mm, yes. So I think I really, almost in a way, because she said this to me, as a way to prove her wrong, I said, I'm going to be an architect. And so I kind of fell into it that way. So out of and spite. And I took all this extra what? So out of spite. Out of yeah, it wasn't out of spite, but it was like <laughs> I'm going to prove you wrong. I can do this. <laughs> you great. can't put these barriers yeah. around me. I I get to make my own decisions. So I ended up taking you know, you know, college level math in in high school. I was actually very good at math. My dad's an engineer, so I had sort of some good training there. Mm-hmm. So I I ended up going to architecture school, and I worked. For, and I went to architecture school, which is a very long process, and um, it was a great experience. I'm actually really glad that I did it because it's very creative, um, but it's also practical because you can be as creative as you want. And there's some people that are super creative in architecture, but at the end of the day, you have to do something that can stand up as a building, mm-hmm. right, or be a public space or whatever. So it was um, it was a really great experience. I got a lot of background in art and history and, and all these other things that I really love. And a lot of, you know, math and physics and structural engineering and all of that. So that was great. And so I worked and did that for a while. And then, you know, I, I like things that I like to change. So I made a change to work on Wall Street and and then I made the change to come here. So that's sort of shortening it. But, but I kind of, that's how I kind of fell into architecture, at least. <laughs> Initially. Yeah, but it, but it's but in a way, I mean, the the reason I'm I'm kind of interested in the architecture piece is because yeah, it it's kind of the that left brain right brain thing. So yes. architecture yes. is kind of like a, a a mixture of the two, where you you do need some some real creativity uh, and to think yes. outside of the box in order to come up with something that is super useful, super practical, and beautiful at the same time if, if that's the, the, the avenue of architecture you go down. But at the same time, you also need to know all of these basic principles of math and physics and so on and so forth. Um, yes. And how you take... So y- you studied in that field, and maybe you didn't work in it, and that's fine, but you... Uh, you No, I did work in it. Well, for a long time, I guess. Yeah, I didn't work for a long time, yeah. but I did work for a couple of years as an architect. But then transitioning over, I mean, are those are some of those principles that you learned in architecture, especially the creative piece? I mean, how much of that do you think you retained over time in the in the finance world and Wall Street, and then now at Amphenol? You know, I, I I don't I read it I don't know if it was a book or something um, once that there's different kinds of creativity, mm-hmm. and the two that I remember I think there was four different kinds of creativity, and the two that struck out to me the most. Um, was one is sort of this like really out there creativity, like these really out there artists. Um, I don't know if you know who Frank Gehry is, the mm-hmm. architect, but he's kind of a really sure. out there architect. It did His the Disney Music Hall in L.A. and Yeah, he did yeah. the Disney Music Hall, exactly, right. yep. and um, uh, the Bilbao Museum in Spain. So he's like really out there just rethinking how structures can look and, and be and, you know, be designed. And so that's one type of creativity. Right. And I'm I'm not that kind of creative person. I'm not sort of an out there, super, you right. know, kind of 
kind of creative person. But the other type of creative person is someone that's a really good problem solver. Mm -hmm. And I found the architectural training and sort of being exposed to all those different things. And then, you know, some of the testing that you have to, you have to do a bunch of testing to get your license to be an architect. And one of the tests is kind of figuring out how to put all of the program functions, so the different rooms, essentially, in a certain configuration. So you have to kind of problem solve to figure out how you can best lay out a space based on the program, you know, how many mm -hmm. bedrooms, how many, you know, kitchens, whatever. And so I realized I'm actually good at that, and I think that that really helped me develop those skills. And then when I went to Wall Street, I think – you know, as an as a research analyst, you have to think about a really big market, and you know what is what is the long term growth of this market? How how is you have to really sort of think what is what's going to happen in this market, and then narrow it down to one specific company. So okay, well, how is it going to impact this company? Then you have to figure out, okay, with all of these other parameters, which is very similar to architecture, you know, a lot of parameters, now you have to narrow it down to one thing. Mm -hmm. What kind of value should this company have? What should the valuation be and and why? Is it, you know, how much growth are they going to have? What are their margins? Can their margins get better? Can their growth get better? Is it going to get worse? Is the market declining? So I think that sort of taking a lot of different variables, a big market, and then narrowing it down to one specific company or project was sort of, you know, those skills were very transferable. Very, very different jobs, but very transferable. Right. And I think, you know, it's it's somewhat the same at Amphenol. I mean, I, I think all of those skills are, I, mean, I think those are good skills for any job, actually. But, yeah. um, you know, I think I apply some of that problem solving to the way that I approach, you know, the projects that I get at Amphenol. So how did you transition into the, the finance piece and being an analyst uh, on Wall Street? I found with architecture that the process is very long. Right. And I'm somewhat of an impatient person for better or worse. And I liked the job, but I got sort of, you know, after a while, it was like, gosh, we're, you know, two years later, we're still working on the same project. And the other piece I didn't like about architecture was it's, it's very limiting. If you're an architect, you just do architecture mm. and you, you work very hard. And so you, all you ever do is architecture and there wasn't any sort of other areas and it was almost sort of like you had to be really passionate just about architecture was kind of the attitude in in from from my perspective and i had all these other things i was interested in mm -hmm. so i thought well maybe i don't like this after all to the complete shock and amazement of my parents <laughs> <laughs> who had sort of you know said okay yeah um and um and actually my husband now we were um, working together in the architecture for my husband's an architect and um, he was kind of like you should do something else you should get out and that kind of gave me the the push to say well maybe I should look at something else so I tried to figure out what to do and again you know not a lot of huge thoughtfulness but um, you know my husband's brother is an investment banker and I thought well maybe I should do that <laughs> So I said, I'll go to business school. <laughs> it's totally ridiculous. So I went to business school. And then when I got to business school, I realized I don't want to be an investment banker. But I sort of learned what different jobs you could do in business school. And I always had 
sort of an interesting business because it's very logical, and I'm actually a very logical person, even though I have sort of a creative side. Right, right. And sort of, I like sort of the logic of it, and it's very, you know, people that are very businessy are very, you know, just numbers focused, and and I'm more, I I don't just focus on numbers, but I couldn't appreciate that side of it. And so another thing about going to business school is it opens up a lot of different job possibilities. You can do many different things from there because it gives you a good base in sort of how businesses are run. And unlike architecture, which is like, okay, you're going to be an architect, and that's the only job you can do, business is like, well, which job do you want to do? And so that was nice. And so I went to business school, and then I decided research was good because I I had done a lot of writing in architecture school, and I enjoyed sort of the research aspect of it. And so that worked out pretty well. I can relate to what you're saying with the business school aspect of it. And it gives yeah. you like a larger toolbox with which to work on things. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it prepares you, expands your skill set. Um, so anyone who ever thinks, oh, I don't know if business school is right for me. You know, I was, you know, me in communications, you in architecture. No, no, it, it applies to basically everything. So if you're interested in it, you know, uh, and you have the opportunity I would suggest it because it does kind of expand your thinking on not just the field you're in, but in kind of everything. Yeah. And yeah. I like that, that analogy, the toolbox, because it does give you a lot of good tools and just a basic understanding of how, you know, financial statements work yeah. and you yeah. know how businesses are run and how they're structured. It's just, you know, good yeah. background. Right. So you, so then you become an analyst and you're looking yep. at all sorts of different companies and you're advising on you know, strengths and weaknesses, this and that and the other thing. I'm, 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 I don't know exactly what you did on a day-to-day basis, but you finally get to a point where you're looking at all these companies and then you get an opportunity to work for just one, which is Amphenol. Yeah. So yeah. was how was that? How did that process come about? And how big of a change was it for you to be someone who's looking at all these companies in all different fields and, and areas, or maybe limited fields and areas? To now, I'm I'm just going to work for this one company. How did that process come about? Well, obviously, I knew Adam and Craig and Diana um, before. Um, oh, okay. From covering Amphenol, so Amphenol was one of the stocks that I followed, and I followed them, I think I picked them in 2008, so I covered them for 10 years. Um, Just when Adam had become CEO, Mm -hmm. I um, picked up Amphenol. And I had always thought that Amphenol was a great company, incredibly well-run, excellent company. I always had a buy rating on it. I love, we would do an annual meeting where we'd bring investors and come to headquarters and sit with, you know, um, Adam and Diana, and then when Craig took over, Adam and, and Craig. And I always loved to come and interact with Adam and listen to him because he's such an engaging person. He has such a passion for the business, and he's so thoughtful about people and where the business needs to go. And it was always so interesting to come and listen. Amphenol's not the kind of person that actually gives you very much information about the business. And you sort of joke about that as, when you're on the other side as a sell-side or a buy-side analyst. Right. But I always could tell that the company was in very good hands with the management team, very intelligent, you know, very focused on, you know, doing the right thing and, and, you know, doing the right thing for the customers as well as the employees. And so I really liked that. And I always, you know, as 
when you start to think about, okay, if I want to go work for a company, the first companies I thought of were the companies that I covered. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about the different CEOs and CFOs and the different cultures and, you know, some I said, no, never. And, you know, but Amphenol was always a company I would love to, to work at, but I didn't, I didn't think that Amphenol would hire an analyst. So I, I didn't, you know, really explore it. But then I just said, well, why not? Why don't I just call Adam? So I, I, I think I shot him an email. I was like, hey, you know, would you ever consider hiring someone like an analyst? And, you know, Adam and I had had a good relationship. And so he said, well, I don't know. So we sort of started a dialogue over a couple of months. And then I think he sort of started to see a place where someone in sort of this vague role, he, he's had people in kind of a, a role like this in the past, but at a junior level. And I think um, he, he wanted to have someone at a more senior level with more, you know, experience mm -hmm. and, and experience in the business world. So we kind of figured out a role that would make sense. And so I was, you know, thrilled that we can make it work. And, and I've been thrilled ever since I've, I've been at Amphenol. It's been great. One of the things I did want to talk to you about was yeah. taking complex ideas, uh, complex um, processes, and trying to distill them down and simplify them into a easy to understand and a compelling story. Yeah. Just if you could just run through what that means sure. to you, because I, you know, I think I mentioned to you, I love that part of, of the job that I have as well, but I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on that process. I, I mean, I think it's such an important skill and a lot of people don't have it, but being able to synthesize something into to into just a, a couple of points so that it really comes through. And I think, you know, I'm still learning and, and evolving, but in communicating, it's so important to be able to distill information. And, you know, in architecture, there's actually a concept where um, it's called a, a partee diagram, where you take sort of like, what is the essence of the building? And you basically, it's almost like a, a, a brief cartoon and, and Luc Corbusier um, did this often. And, and so I think it actually, to some extent, started in architecture school with this, the concept of the partie diagram. And then as an analyst, you go to many events and you sit for an analyst day or you listen to an earnings call, you listen to you know CEO and CFO present. And your job is to synthesize you know, sometimes an analyst day can be all day. So, you know, I sit all day and listen to everybody talk about how great their business is. Then you have to come back to your office as an analyst and write a note that says, what was the headline? What were the three key points from that presentation that are the most important, that really get the message across? And so, you know, over 16 years of doing that, that's what I was doing every day. And so that sort of I, I developed that ability, and so, and it, and I would see when I had associates come work for me, they didn't always have that skill, but you develop that over time. When you think about also as an analyst in the morning, if I had a stock call, I would, or if there was something I needed to tell the sales force, I would present on the on the morning call to the sales force, and the sales force has very limited attention span, and they have you know, 10 different calls that day. So you have to be able to get your message through basically in three key points. What do you want them to call the client about 
that your message is? Like, what are you saying? You're saying you want to buy the stock, but why do you want to buy the stock? You have to have a compelling story. And so being able to take a bunch of complex ideas and synthesize them is just so critical. I don't, I don't know that I have sort of any examples of that. It was just kind of something that I do all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, you can whether you do it artistically or in words or whatever, I think it's a really, if you can get better at that or, or do that well, it's an important skill to have when you're trying to communicate big ideas to people. And I think it's across all areas of the business as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I see, yeah. and it's, it's a combination of, I, I think, some talent to be able to do it because it's not easy to do that number one. And two, I think it's experience. I mean, I, I can just yes. speak for what I've seen over the years here working for Amphenol for 16 years. The person I keep coming back to who it it hit me like a brick in the head as far as how this works, and I mean that in a good way, is uh, watching Pat Gillard, who you probably know. Yeah. When yes, he used, yeah, he used to work here in Sydney when he was um, working for the military and aerospace group at the time. And he would sit through presentations and I'm, I, you know, he, he may laugh at this too, but I would watch him listen to people, you know, death by PowerPoint. And yeah, he yeah. would in about three minutes, take everything that they just said for the last hour, draw it on one piece of paper. And, you know, in yep. essence, basically say, if you can't do it in one slide like this, then you're just wasting your time. You need to get to Absolutely. this as quickly as possible. And it was like, That's right. oh my goodness, you're right. You're absolutely right. And ever since then, he probably has no idea, but maybe if he listens to this, he will now. That's the <laughs> one I always come back to is just what would Pat yeah. Gillard do with this presentation oh, yeah. or with this brief or with this write-up or whatever it may be. It's get to the point, be clear about it, be concise, and then get out. Yep, that's right. And I, you know, we're talking a lot on, on this podcast. I don't usually talk this much myself, but I do think... You know, for me, I usually just, what's the point? Let's make the point and move on. And there's other people that kind of talk a lot and, yeah. and the story gets lost in there. Right. But, but similar to Pat, you know, you can really, any presentation, think about it. If you go and listen to our presentation, you're not going to remember the whole hour. What right. are you going to remember? What is the one, two, or even three at the most things you want people to remember from that presentation? And that always has to be in your mind when you're thinking about these things. Yep, absolutely. I know that you're involved a lot in the increased focus on on sustainability at the corporate level. Um, And we've just put out the new sustainability report in the last few months uh, at Amphenol Corporate. Just talk us through some of the the initiatives that that you guys have been uh, undertaking there and and the increased focus on that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting, it's interesting way to put it because I think it's not that we haven't focused on it as a company before. I think, again, it's that we're trying to provide the information and present the information more to our stakeholders that we're doing these things, right? So I think, you know, there's, we have our EH&S team um, run by Scott Dernan has been paying attention to these things for a long time. And, and Dave Silverman, you know, we've put in some processes at the HR level that filter down through H&S to, to be, paying attention and measuring a lot of these things. But if you look at the stories that have come back from the different businesses and the different groups, there's a lot of great stories about how we as a company and different businesses are 
doing things to help the environment, doing things to help our communities, um, you know, focusing on helping disadvantaged groups. And so we're doing those things. We just haven't measured them and we haven't um, presented them. And so as part of one of the projects that I've had, which is actually something I'm really excited about because I'm excited about the environmental aspect and the social aspect and, you know, doing the right thing, is just really communicating what we're doing better to our stakeholders, whether that be shareholders or, you know, the other stakeholders, whether that be potential employees or customers or whatever. And so the culmination of that was the hard work that the whole company has done and bringing that together in a presentation, the sustainability report that we can show to our stakeholders, our customers, our shareholders, um, and employees and, and say, look, we, we are focusing on, on these things because I think the culture of the company and especially especially at the, you know, at Adam's level and at the corporate level, we really do care about doing the right thing and we want to make sure we're doing the right thing for the environment. And it's not just because it's the right thing to do, but as Adam says all the time, it's just good business. And so it's really sort of communicating all of the efforts that everybody else is already doing, just putting it in that package again that we've sort of talked about. Yeah, yeah and, and I didn't mean to say that we weren't focusing on it. But yeah, I get your, you, I un- yeah, totally yeah. understand yeah. your point. Yeah. And you're right, it is. I know he and I talked about it during uh, the episode that we recorded together, how it is just good business. And there's yeah. something to be said about, you know, kind of puffing your chest out about that. And making sure that people yeah. realize the good things that we're doing. And I think there's more that we can do for sure. And I think as you sort of start this process of recording it, you think, well, wait, we're not, maybe we're not doing this. We could do better. And so getting that information, like diversity is an area where, you know, we have a pretty diverse workforce. And we actually have a decent number, of, I think 50% of our workforce is, is women roughly. But we don't have them at the more senior levels necessarily at the mm-hmm. same percentages. And so how can we do a better job of that? And sort of just getting that information, you just need that data so that you can start to say, oh, okay, well, we we, we believe in these things and we want to do a good job here, but the data shows that we could probably do better. So how can we focus on that? I know these initiatives and all this stuff that you're doing, uh, the sustainability report, the diversity, all that, uh, it sounds like you get to do a lot of different things, which is which is really cool as part of this director of yeah. strategic development. You had an ambiguous yeah. title, but one that gives you flexibility to do all sorts of stuff. So I think that's I think it's fantastic, and I I wish you the best of luck as you continue on. Thanks, I really appreciate talking to you. Thank you, Sherry. Great, thank you. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you.